Hey, welcome into another edition of Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganbill. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round right here on Disrupt the Media. It's brought to you by our friends at MyBookie.ag. Football season is back. Winning season's back at MyBookie. Make sure you register. Put in that promo code next round. Grab that welcome bonus on the house. It's from MyBookie.ag. Luganbill, the biggest shocker to me, not only TCU losing to Colorado, but the way the second half played out, LSU against Florida State. And to me, Florida State looks like they've got Clemson's athletes from three or four years ago. LSU looked like they gave up. Uh, you tell me what you saw on Sunday night. Well, I, I, I always try to tiptoe around saying a team quit, but that's what I saw too. I, I saw them wave the white flag. Um, and I think the thing that was so demoralizing, if you're an LSU fan or if you're an LSU player and a coach, is they were more physical. Florida State was more physical than LSU. I mean, LSU has a long-standing reputation of being a very physical football team. And I thought Florida State outclassed them in every regard. And when it got really, really bad, nobody stood up to fight back. It was almost as if LSU said, eh, we're done. You know, they got on the mat, and they weren't even attempting to get up. And you listen to Brian Kelly's comments. I think he felt it that way, too. So, you know, coming into the game, I, I said this, I felt like Brian Kelly, and I still do, best coach, uh, active coach that has yet to win a national championship. Yeah. And look, I, I swing and a miss. I mean, LSU could rebound and win 11 straight and go to Atlanta and win an SEC championship. Year. Yeah, get back in this. Um, it didn't look like it based on the second half. But on the other sideline, Mike Norvell was the guy that I wasn't certain about, you know, because people have had a little success at Memphis. And we saw him have a little success yeah. last year. And you said you were interested to see how Florida State would handle the spotlight. They handled it well, but more so Mike Norvell looked like he was in command of that program. It looked like it was his Florida State. Have you noticed now that they don't have sloppy procedure penalties, huge give-ups in the kicking game, um, sputtering around on offense? Uh, they're, they're, they, they don't, they don't uh, have guys that aren't playing hard. All of those things I just mentioned were a staple of Florida State football between Jimbo Levin and him getting hired. What he's done, I think, the best job of is he's cleaned out that locker room. He has cleaned out that building. And he, he got rid of the guys that weren't going to do what he expects them to do to their standard for winning football. And then he went out and targeted guys. He's done a wonderful job in the transfer portal. He went out and targeted guys that not only were upgrades in talent, but we're going to do it his way. So now all of a sudden, not only do you have good football players, you got good people. You have a healthy locker room. You have a healthy, healthy atmosphere. People talk about team chemistry. You can't overblow team, team chemistry. It's real. The problem is it's very hard to carry over team chemistry each and every year. The easy, easy thing you can do is get rid of bad chemistry. And so that team looked confident. They played fast. They played, I thought, really clean. You know, listen, it's the first week of college football. We've seen a lot of teams go out and make first game errors. I broadcasted a game where both, team did, both teams did that uh, multiple times throughout the game. And, and we've seen it in other spots too. But that team was prepared. They looked like they'd played two or three games. And I think that's what was so impressive. Yeah, and it looks, you know, again, we'll see in three weeks in Death Valley because Clemson hosts Florida State. 
but it looks like those teams are in completely different spots right now. And taking a look at Clemson this past Monday night, and correct me if I'm wrong on the number, I saw this, it blew me away, that there were 53, four, or five stars for that Clemson roster, and there were two for Duke. And Duke wins the game by 21. More. Yeah, I think it's actually in the low 60s for Clemson. And um, It doesn't look like it, though, Lugs. I know that defense is going to be pretty good. They gave up some gash plays. You know, Riley Leonard made a play. There was a, a late run there. Uh, but their receivers, man, it's night and day from what we saw with DeAndre Hopkins and and Sammy Watkins and Justin Ross. It just doesn't look the same. Well, you know, I mentioned that on the broadcast. I said the biggest glaring thing to me standing on the field and watching it is there was not a big speed discrepancy between Duke and Clemson. And there should wow. be, right? Yeah. And and you were 100% right. Clemson's wideouts can't run. And and in, in tight windows, in tight situations, with you know, with tight coverage, uh, it makes it awfully hot on the quarterback. Now, I didn't think Cade Klubnik played very well. I thought he was unsure of himself. Um, they couldn't get into a rhythm. I'll say this, and this is, again, first week impressions. All we have to go off of is, is four quarters on Monday night. I didn't see anything about that offense and how it operated that was any different than the one we saw the last two years under Brandon Streeter. I just didn't. Um, their best two players on, on the field are, are their two running backs, Moffa and, and Will Shipley. And Will Shipley might be one of their best wide receivers. And then the other night, he just dropped the ball all over the place. So it was one of those games where Clemson just did so many things uncharacteristic to their nature. And, I mean, this is this is how statistically dominant they were. If you just look at yards and you look at yards allowed and all of those things that they look good on paper, but they really don't have anything to do with winning and losing. In the third quarter alone, Clemson had three drives to the Duke, one, four, and seven-yard line and came away with no points. It's impossible. No points. And the only play that Duke made on offense in that quarter was Barrett Carter missing the tackle off of the quarterback keep and him scampering for whatever it was, 48 yards or what have you. So Clemson, what this came down to is Clemson just made more errors than Duke did. Duke made some errors. They had procedure penalties, right? They, they turned the ball over. They did some of those first game errors. But I will say this, Duke is a much better football team than anybody's given them credit for. They were rotating like seven, eight linemen on defense and looked good, right? Their secondary played really, really well. They've got running backs. The quarterback is going to be – he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's going to be, and we saw what he's capable of on Monday. So Duke earned it. Not saying they outright won the game, but they won it because they didn't make as many screw-ups as Clemson did. Yeah, Bottom hey, Duke, Duke fans need to enjoy Mike Elko this season. This oh. might be it for him. Um, oh, okay, so the, the the marquee game in our state this week, in Bryant-Denny, 6 o'clock ESPN, Texas, Alabama. Last year, the game was closer than I expected. I don't know what to expect this year. My question to you, Texas skill-wise, they're already better than Alabama, right? When you're looking at receivers, maybe not running backs. Quarterback, Quinn Ewers, you saw Jalen Milrow. You've yeah. seen him in a start last year against A&M. You saw him against Middle Tennessee State. But to me, Texas definitely got the advantage of receivers. Do they have the advantage of quarterback? I know running back Alabama's got the advantage. They have the – Texas has the advantage of quarterback experience, right? Much larger sample size. But that quarterback experience for Quinn Ewers has to be much more consistent, play in and play out, series in and series out. Um, they started off very slow versus Rice. thought they kind of played down to the level of competition where Alabama did not um, with, with middle. I think the big X factor in this game is the fact that Texas has to prepare for a dangerous running threat at quarterback. 
and Alabama doesn't. And that that changes the complexity of the game because what happens is, is when you have to account for that quarterback's legs, you're playing 11 on 11. When you don't, you're kind of playing 11 on 10, right? Alabama's not overly concerned with Quinn Ewers running the quarterback keep or the quarterback lead or counter, but they got to be, Texas has to be concerned with Alabama moving the pocket and letting Jalen Milrow break contain. They got to worry about quarterback lead, quarterback counter, uh, uh, RPO stuff. That guy is a dangerous, dangerous football player with his legs. And if you saw Sark's comments this week, because he did recruit him, I thought he hit the nail right on the head. He goes, he's not just fast. It's the physicality of his running style. And so I, that, that would create – I would be very nervous about that if I was Texas because the other team's not having to prepare for that same element. And when, when so much of football, it's a matchup game and it's a numbers game. And you always see guys, you know, looking over the sideline and they're checking the box. Uh, do they have less than we have that, you know, for us to block? Okay, then we're going to run it. Well, if, if they have more, then we're going to throw it. Well, if the quarterback's a running uh, threat – you're going to have to bring an extra guy into that box, which gives you more one-on-ones on the outside. So that leads me to this, because Nick Saban pointed to it. With an upgrading competition, those windows of wide-open receivers are going to go like this, right? You're running against Middle Tennessee, and it's like this, right? Now against Texas, it's going to be like this. And will Jalen Milrow show the same level of anticipation and decisiveness and accuracy when the window's not as large? I think that's something to look for that could be a big change from last week's game. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we didn't know who the starting quarterback was going to be. A lot of people lean Milrow. He's obviously established as that guy now. But talking to a guy close to the program, he said, and this is before Middle Tennessee State, he's like, Milrow actually throws a really good deep ball. And we saw it to Isaiah Bond. We saw it one other yeah. occurrence. Um, you played the position. When you watch it, I mean, for his size, his athletic ability, it looks like he's got pretty good touch on the deep ball. He's got good touch on the deep ball, but what I would say and what I kind of label of it when we're writing reports on guys is his deep ball carries, meaning it's got power and velocity, but it's got the strength to finish, right? When that ball, when you watch the ball come out of the sky, it's not floating down, right? There's power behind the throw. And when you can make all the throws on the field and your arm talent is actually good enough to throw the ball late downfield and still be able to get it there even if it turns into a back shoulder 50 50 ball that that allows you to really threaten every nook and cranny um of the field so again are guys going to be even as they're running down the line or are they going to be separating as they're running down the field we saw them all separating last week big difference in 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 terms of talent discrepancy in the back end between middle and texas so with ESPN's Tom Luganville, it's spinning Lugs right here on Disrupt the Media. When we talked last week, it was before, obviously, week one had started. Florida gets embarrassed in Salt Lake City. South Carolina got embarrassed against North Carolina. We talked about LSU getting scouted by Florida State. Do you think overall the SEC has a problem? I don't see a trend. I don't think that we should all be going, oh, my gosh, what, what is happening here? Because I'm a firm believer in, in, in one week. It was one week. What Colorado did, it was one week. And now they're going to have to go out and they're going to do it. have to do it again against Nebraska. And you know what? Nebraska played terrible against Minnesota. What will they do this Saturday? That's another week. And, and I say that, and it's so cliched, and it's, so, it's so, such coach speak. But I, I, I'll, I've just never forgotten, and I think I've referenced this with you or Jim or, or Brownie, but I, I always go back to remind myself to the 2014 season. 
when Virginia Tech went up to Ohio State and embarrassed them in the horseshoe. And if you remember watching that game, and if you haven't, Virginia Tech dismantled Ohio State's offensive line. Ohio State could not function, right? The very next week, the very next week, I have Virginia Tech in East Carolina in Blacksburg, and East Carolina beats them. The rest of the season, Ohio State goes straight up on this trajectory and wins the national championship on their third-string quarterback. So I tend to try to sit back and not get too caught up in knee-jerk reactions off of one weekend. The only one, and, I, and it might be because I saw it up close and personal, it's not SEC-related, but I am worried about Clemson because I don't think they're as talented at, these, at certain areas as maybe they think they are. And it looks like the ACC as a conference is maybe a little bit better. You saw North Carolina on defense look like an entirely different team than they looked uh, a year ago. But I, I would wait a couple of weeks before making that assessment. Remember, it might not have been a blowout last year, but LSU looked awful against Florida State last year. Yeah, just yeah, the score right. was closer. The score was closer. You know, I have got a big expectation for A&M. I've never been a Jimbo fan. I know he won a national championship. But bringing Bobby Petrino in and watching Wegman last year, Dude. you could see the potential. And you look at these receivers. I knew Evan Stewart was going to be a stud. I didn't know Noah Thomas was going to make a difference this quickly. Moose Muhammad really was non-existent, as was Anaya Smith. You've got so many weapons there. Now they go to Miami. The Hurricanes look pretty good against the MAC team yeah. this past weekend. Uh I don't know about Van Dyke's finger. This was a terrible game aesthetically last year where AM went 17 oh, to 9. Yeah. But I guess a couple of questions. How good is the potential of this AM offense? And how do you expect this game to play out in South Florida on Saturday? So listen, I acknowledge and recognize the opponents, right? In in the first week for both teams. You got Miami of Ohio and, 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 and certainly uh you got New Mexico. And we saw Alabama play middle, right? We saw Georgia play, you know, UT Martin. So the blowout games that should have been blowout games were blowout games. But what I was looking for with Texas A&M was to see consistency of performance and some semblancy of order on offense. And you saw it for all four quarters. I mean, Connor Wegman threw five touchdowns and they were driving the ball downfield. They were pushing the ball vertically. And I don't think anybody, what nobody should be surprised about is if Bobby Petrino is running this offense, and it looks like he is, and it is his scheme, and he didn't, wasn't brought in to be the play caller for Jimbo's scheme. That's not what we're talking about here. Nobody should be surprised about the production of that offense. They have players, and name me a time in history of college football that Bobby Petrino has been working over the last 40 years where that offense hasn't been tried and true. It is a legitimate offensive uh, uh, product. That is one everywhere it's been under his leadership. So that hey, should so be me, surprising. Let me ask you this X's and O's question because somebody brought it up on, on the show earlier today, and I, I yeah. didn't know the answer. I remember Arkansas having really good receivers in 2011, and, yeah. and that was one of the three best teams in college football. But somebody asked, is Bobby Petrino still running that scheme now at Texas A&M? And I'm like – College football's changed so much, but you know, watching, I really don't remember what they were running at Arkansas. I don't. Are there a lot of similarities? Yes, there are a lot of similarities, and I think to further prove the point, just how good a coach Bobby Petrino is. Remember, this is the guy that coached Lamar Jackson. You talk about evolving in college football to go from Ryan Mallett to Lamar Jackson. He wasn't trying to stick a square peg in a round hole. You go back and you look at those, those Louisville teams, and all of a sudden you're seeing zone read, you're seeing quarterback lead, you're seeing quarterback counter, all kinds of RPO stuff and this and that. 
And then he doesn't have that type of player. So what does he do? He goes back to the base foundation, right? So Connor Wigman's not a big runner. But yeah, the, what he's so good at is identifying what the personnel is and then, you know, accentuating the strengths and, and trying to mask the weakness. And I think everybody through recruiting who's watched Texas A&M and the players that they've brought in, this was the type of performance they were expecting to see, a dominant performance on defense, being able to create on, on offense um, and, and look good doing it. And to be honest with you, and I know this is long-winded, we want to get to Miami here too, but I thought the addition of Shannon Dawson at Miami and the fact that they were going fast, they weren't thinking. I thought Josh Gaddis regressed that offense last year. I thought they were doing too much. They were, they were overcomplicated. They weren't an up-tempo team. And Tyler Van Dyke just did not fit into it. Now they're back to what they were doing when he was playing under Rhett Lashley and why everybody got so excited. And then defensively, Miami's got some guys. I, that, that game, I think, is much more evenly matched than maybe people think it is on paper. Okay, before we get to Miami, though, I do want you to handicap. I know it's week one, and you made a great point when you talk about 2014 and Virginia Tech over Ohio State, Ohio State ultimately winning that national championship. But when you look right now at the SEC West, everybody, it was Alabama or LSU, and then it was A&M. How muddled is it at the top? And if you had to handicap it right now, who's the best team in the SEC West after one week? After one week, I, th I think it's Alabama because we know more definitively about what they're capable of being on offense and how the quarterback impacts their offense in the run game. I think that that's really important for them to have more clarity uh, on that. You know, I know it was Mercer, but Ole Miss has some really good players, and they've done a really good job in the transfer portal, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Jackson Dart was lights out. He looked like an entirely different player. Um, I think they've got a real chance. Uh, I don't know yet about Mississippi State. You know, they struggled with Arizona last year out there in Tucson, and that's going to be an interesting game because they're going to have to play against another one of those good Pac-12 quarterbacks. Um, Arkansas, so much, so much of this is opponent-based, right, when I'm giving my answer on, on all of this. You got Auburn playing UMass. I thought, I thought Auburn looked extremely sharp. I thought they were very efficient. They did exactly what we talked about last week and, and utilized Robbie Ashford, I think, masterfully. They're going to be improved. But I still think, based off of how we saw LSU perform, I would probably say it's Alabama right now, then maybe Ole Miss. Um, Auburn, again, Auburn, Arkansas, somewhere in there. Um, LSU, you know, struggling, clearly. But I, I thought Ole Miss and Alabama were most impressive. Okay, so we talked about Miami's offense under Shannon Dawson. Tyler Van Dyke looks to be back if he stays healthy. Defensively, though, get to your point on Miami and how improved do you think overall this program is going to be in year two under Mario Cristobal? Yeah, I, I think that it took a while, right? And he really had to weed through not only that roster but the coaching staff, and he made it really hard on everybody. I think he did that by design because he wanted to see who can handle it. Who can hang? Who's not just going to get up and walk away? And I think that he put a lot of strain on a lot of people and maybe in some ways that made a lot of people really, really uncomfortable or really, really dislike him. And those who, it's kind of the old saying, those who stayed will be champions. And so now he's got a core nucleus of guys that he knows he can trust. All right, he revamped the staff. But I think the most important thing he did that leads me to believe that Miami's got a chance to continue to elevate and get better and not just this year, over the next two to three years, is he went to his quarterback and said, 
how can we better suit you? How can we build this offense around you? What do you like versus what do you don't like? Um, a, a prime example, I was talking with Duke's offensive coordinator, Kevin Johns. He's got this great quarterback in Riley Leonard that everybody saw on Monday night. And he goes, we get late in the week. I've got my play sheet. I put it down in front of him. We sit down and I say, start scratching off what you don't like. And the coach is going to sit there and you're going to sit there and go, well, it's my system. It's this and this. You're not playing, dude. Right. Like, you, as a coach, if you're really, if you're really about producing results, you're, you're going to have to alter things around what the quarterback likes. Because if you called up in the box and he's not confident in it, you're going backwards, man. Dude, and I, I love them checking their ego. You know, for a lot of coaches, that's got to be difficult to do. But I'm with you, man. They're not on the field. Yeah, they don't got any eligibility left. And so, you know, you start checking out. You start checking out. You know, I remember um, I actually, full disclosure, I had a conversation over lunch with Tommy Maddox about this over 20 years ago in the XFL when we were considering taking him. And I, I literally asked him, I said, what are you not good at? And he kind of looked at me funny. I said, well, if you're assessing yourself and a coach asked you, um, you know, has said, this is what we're doing, what would you push back on? And we started kind of going over those things. Well, guess what? None of those things were in the game plan. None of those things were in the offense. I just think it has to be that way. That's why I have such an admiration, not to get off point here, such an admir admiration for Andy Reid at Kansas City. That dude was literally born out of the West Coast offense womb. And he looks at this dude number wearing, wearing number 15. He's like, we got to be doing something different. Like, <laughs> right. And if you watch Kansas City, they look like a college team. If you yeah, took they Kansas, really do. If you took Kansas City, right, and you put USC's offense uh, uh, uniforms on them, that's what they look like. Yeah. You know? And so I think that Miami's done a good job, and I think that might be the most important thing that Mario Cristobal did all offseason. Uh, it's been Luke's with Tom Luganville from ESPN. We talked about this last week. You are going to be heading to New Orleans. Uh, weird road game for Ole Miss taking on yeah. Tulane. Uh, a lot of Ole Miss fans will be there. Um, it should be a wild environment. I didn't know what to expect from Tulane after the 12-win season. But boy, they dominated South Alabama, so they don't look like they've gone anywhere. You talked about uh, Ole Miss and the weapons they've got, and Trey Harris showing up. And, you know, I'm a wow. Jackson Dart fan from seeing him early on his first ever appearance against Washington State after an injury to Keaton Slovis. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a great atmosphere. I mean, the number shows that Tulane should be able to hang it, sitting right at seven. Do you think Tulane can hang around in this one? There's nothing that tells me, based off of, you know, really the last 18 months, that they shouldn't be able to. Every single time they've been doubted, they've rose to the occasion. And, um, and they beat a good South Alabama team now. That team won 10 games a year ago. And and I, I look at them on tape, and even Old Miss, for that matter, it, it's interesting because both teams are so capable of creating explosive plays in the passing game that you're kind of tr trying to say, okay, well, something's got to give here. Somebody's going to have to somehow come up with a way of not allowing those plays of you know 20 yards or more downfield. And the quarterback, Michael Pratt at Tulane, man, is really, really efficient in that regard. And then, of course, Jackson Dart was near flawless. You look at those two quarterbacks, Jackson Dart was 18 to 23. And the other kid was 14 of 15, Michael Pratt. So the efficiency was off the charts. And, uh, and like I said, I think in the transfer portal with guys like Josh Harris, um, you know, guys like uh, Zamari Walton uh, at corner for, for Ole Miss, they've just really, they've gone, Aishim Young's a guy out of Iowa State that was a great safety for them. They've added to the roster. They've made a lot of really nice additions. And then Trey Harris, you referenced, was a monster. Four touchdowns last week. And, and so... 
you know, we'll, we'll see. It should be good. Um, could you sit here and say, well, Ole Miss might have better overall athletes? Maybe. But the one thing, the one thing that Tulane does not do is hurt themselves. That's where they're really, really good. Okay, before we get into entertainment, we do this every week on Spit and Lugs. Me and Lugaville absolutely love our television and movies. Um, there was, if I went back, I'm trying to decide exactly where the moment was this past weekend. Um, oh, I know what I was going to tell you. So right. watching Georgia, again, it's Tennessee Martin. So you can't really take anything from that. Now that LSU has lost, that was my national champion pick. I got to go with somebody else. <laughs> I like this Michigan team. And I watched again last night against East Carolina because Michigan is one of these teams I drafted my Calcutta, and we get points for shutouts. And I didn't realize that East Carolina kicks a meaningless field goal on the final play of the game, and they, they bomb like a 40-yarder to kill my shutout. But Michigan, man, they are built like an SEC team, are they not? With with And now they've got a quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. Bro, that was an 8-5 and five team they drubbed. That team won eight games last year. And it was like looked like varsity versus JV, didn't it? Yeah. I think the reason why I like Michigan so much is the same reason why I like um, – Utah so much they just can physically whip your tail and and they will impose their will on you it is big boy pad football you better buckle your chin, chin strap don't get caught standing around the pile I mean it's menacing and you're right the the quarterback position has really come together there but it's their style of play it's just like I feel like they can put you in a phone booth and just pummel you but then they can get you on the perimeter and look like a spread team like they got a little bit of everything. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that, I think that's a, a, a fair take. That was the one game of non-conference where you looked at, okay, it was a group of five opponent, but it wasn't a group of five chump. Right. And, and, and so they want, they went out and just flat out took care of business. Yeah. And they could have, they could have won the game by 40 plus. They took the foot off yeah. a little bit. Second half, uh, a team you and I were both high on, was NC State. I had them Friday night minus 14 and a half. It didn't work. Lance'slog.com. We still had a winning week <laughs> one. Uh, but it looked like Brennan Armstrong, he didn't have anybody around him. It was just all Brennan Armstrong. And yeah. do you think, I mean, obviously it's his offensive coordinator for 2021 where he was so good at Virginia. Do you think they're able to make adjustments and make this game this weekend against Notre Dame interesting? I, I absolutely do. I think they are they are a team. That is a, they fall into that category where people always say you generally make your greatest improvement between week one and week two. That's NC State. Now, remember, NC State last year went out in the opener against East Carolina and did the exact same thing they did against UConn. It's kind of their motto. Like they, they just, they tinker on the brink of disaster and they figure it out. And all of a sudden they get the scare behind them and they take off. If you recall NC State last year, which the vast majority of their team has returned, they were rolling until Devin Leary got hurt. And they went from Devin Leary to a true freshman. And it really, really hurt them, right? My, my concern was, and, and listen, credit UConn here, but NC State's inability to not just stop the run in the first half, not even be close to stopping the run. Against Dude, UConn who was the, the white running half. back 22? He can fly for UConn. You know what I'm talking it, about, the sophomore? Yeah, yeah, number 22, he could roll. And... Um, just an undersized little scat back guy. And so, and they started to shore it up and they got better. You said something that I think is really important is it didn't look yet like the pieces of the puzzle were around Brendan Armstrong, 
to where you feel like, okay, we got to help this guy out. Yet it was because Brendan Armstrong that they won that game. Like, that's how good he is. And his legs and his ability to run, again, it just puts so much strain on the defense because if things aren't perfect, it's not going to mean a negative play automatically. It could still have a positive outcome, and that's what he brings. We're going to find out now with Notre Dame, and you play a really down Navy team. Then you play Tennessee State, all right? And NC State's got good players. They've got older players because they're a developmental program. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens because the the run defense for NC State is going to be tested. There ain't no doubt about that. Notre Dame's going to come. They they can bloody your nose too like Michigan can in the run game. So I'm looking – that's actually one of the games I'm really, really looking forward to. He is ESPN's Tom Lugaville at Spitting Lugs, brought to you by our friends at mybookie.ag. Get started. All you got to do is go to mybookie.ag now. Register for an account for absolutely free. When you get ready to uh, make that first deposit, make sure you put in that promo code next round. Grab that welcome bonus. It's on the house from our friends at mybookie.ag. Entertainment, I know it's this isn't the time of year. I mean, you're traveling all over the place. Yeah. Um, you're heading to New Orleans this weekend. We don't get to watch as much. You get to watch a little on the plane, though. I mean, I know you're yeah. watching more film, but what are you watching right now? And do you have a hidden gem for us? So I, I my last game, and you're right, generally I try to catch up on some things sometimes if I'm done with the film study and, and watch on the iPad on the plane. But I, I drove up to, to Duke this weekend from my home in Charlotte. And so we were there an extra day early. And so we had some downtime a little bit on Sunday, and the only game that day was, you know, LSU-Florida State. So I actually streamed uh, the Equalizer 3. And How is it? It's really good. Where I thought Equalizer 2 was not a good film, and Equalizer 1 was so much fun, and I yep. think a lot of people were surprised at how good it was. 3 is a lot more similar to 1. A lot more similar to 1. Takes place in a really cool setting in a small uh, town in Italy on the, on the Amalfi Coast. So I really, really enjoyed that. What I've got to come up with, because we've exhausted, when I say we, my wife and I, we've kind of exhausted our shows to stream that like we really, really like. Like we're done with Silo. We're done with Lioness. Um, I got to watch Lioness. So good, dude. Have dude. you seen the, have you, I'm going to watch it. I've got, I've got it in the queue. Have you watched uh, all Black Mirrors? Do you like Black Mirror? I love Black Mirror. I just yeah. wish they'd come out with it more often. I really, I, I mean, I really like it. So I finished Righteous Gemstones, which is always a classic. Um, and I love Danny. I love Danny McBride. But yeah, there's been so many things like I've gone through. Have you gotten to War of the Worlds yet? Now that's that's my number one on the list. Hidden gems, and not just hidden because nobody knows about it. It's hidden because it's on MGM Plus. Right. And I don't think anybody knows it exists. I'm telling you, there's two seasons, three seasons of it. And it's awesome, and it's a twist in a different way on the H.G. Wells thing than what you would think it would be. So I got a recommendation. Uh, it was a movie that came out in 2022. It's called Barbarian. It's a horror awesome. film. Awesome. Yeah. I watched yes. it last night, and I was That's like, scary, holy hell, yeah. I mean, the way they filmed it, like I like the first half even better than the second half because there was so much intrigue, and I don't want to give a lot away, but yeah. the, the, the way the Airbnb was handled so and the good. way the guy that was already there – yeah. And and just the way I mean it was wild how it played out and there was a great underlying storyline but I thought it was well done. Those are those are some of my that genre is like probably my favorite genre. I like I like gore and I like horror but I I I like the creepy sometimes ghostly you know sometimes maybe it's a creature type thing like I like Yeah, did that you ever see the descent? Movie. Where the girls go in the cave. Oh, so good when they yeah. go in the cave. Have you seen the ruins? I have not seen the ruins. That's with Write the uh, 
Okay, is that the chick from uh, Game of Thrones? Uh, Natalie Dormer, I think's her name. No, Natalie Dormer's not in that. Okay, she's not in that. Um, but it is um, it's fantastic. It's really good. And if you love The Descent, I think Ruins is better. Okay, so I'll put that on your list, and that's an easy one to find on any. So I've got World of the Worlds, I got Linus, and I got uh, The Ruins. The Ruins. Perfect. There you go. Hey, look and Bill, always fun, man. Safe travels to New Orleans. Don't eat and Thank drink you. too much. Take your gold bond for those nuts. You're going to need it. <laughs> going to be hot as hell. Dude, Monday night. Dude, I'm not kidding around. I've been on that sideline as an analyst for 10 years, and I'm not lying. As the sun went down, it got hotter. It literally got hotter. It was one of the nastiest, most hu humid uh, environments I've ever been in, and it was an 8 o'clock kick, Eastern time. Weird. Dude, you're, you're, okay, you're, your old man was a coach. Uh, you've played ball forever. You played ball forever. I'm sure there was a day you played both ways. But back to the heat in Fort Worth, 129 plays from Travis yeah. Hunter. I mean, that's just – it's stupid. I don't I don't think he can keep up with it for 12 games. Maybe he can. Uh, he's become a show uh, all in himself. But what's the most plays you ever remember playing? Oh, God. Well, uh, first of all, you know, it wasn't like it is now where everybody's trying to play 90 plays a game. Yeah, y'all were running 50 or 60 plays a game, right? Yeah, you're not you're not trying to do hurry up. And when I was in high school, I did. I played both ways. I was the quarterback and I played corner and safety. But, like, I would get spelled, right? Like, okay, take this series off, you know, on defense and blah, blah, blah. I told, I told your partner, Jim Dunaway, on Monday, I don't know if I've ever seen more of an impressive display of cardiovascular fitness and endurance in any sport i understand people run marathons and this and that you're not lugging around all that gear and you're not constantly stop starting yeah it's not it's heat. not the explosion you've got a pace you're going at dude i mean it was one of the most remarkable things i've ever seen and and i think you're right and i think it's fair to sit back and go is this sustainable like can you do this or they're gonna have to start managing his pitch count because I don't know how he'll make it a month, right? And he's such – I thought I thought he was the most productive, dynamic player in all of college football, regardless of class, regardless of conference, on week one. What he did does not happen. Oh, hey, look, I've got a Heisman vote, and right now he'd be number one for me. Long season, sure. doubt it ends up there, but yeah. the way he played – and at a high level. You know, I used to do CrossFit. I don't do it anymore. But I remember towards the end of what they called the workout of the day, the wad. I mean, yeah. I was going through the motions. I was doing it, but I really wasn't doing it. Technically, I mean, <laughs> I was doing shit, and I was sweating. I was about to throw up. <laughs> but that guy on, like, plays 120 to 129, it was a, at an elite level. It was, it was unbelievable, you know. And, you know, Colorado, it's going to be so much fun to see them now play at home, see what happens with them, how do they sustain it. Like, the biggest thing I look at is, like, whoa, can't get hurt. Like the they they got they get they're thin they got a handful of guys and those guys are really really good but boy they got to stay healthy knock on wood for the buffaloes it's a different conversation next week in my opinion I thought TCU'd run them off the field I think Nebraska beats them we'll see what happens a lot of great football coming up in week two and another edition of Spitting Lugs next week tell your friends like subscribe right here on Disrupt the Media Tom Luganville always great stuff enjoy the weekend thanks buddy you too.